And even the Beastie Boys loved sampling the Beatles too. Oh my God, Paul's Boutique, like, you know, the sampling laws uh, changed, but to to make Paul's Boutique today would be uh, impossible. Like it's grandfathered in, uh, and I think there's a relationship with uh, Capital, but like th that album is made up entirely of samples. this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. First, I'd like to thank you all for the overwhelming support of this podcast and Twitter page. We recently reached over 100,000 followers, and we are now one of the top Beatles podcasts on the internet. I love that this podcast and our Twitter page brings hundreds of thousands of Beatles fans from across the world together to share our love for the Beatles every day. It's wonderful to see a worldwide community built around timeless music and something that means a lot to all of us. Today I'd like to welcome Jake Fogelnest onto the show. Jake is an Emmy Award nominated writer, producer, and broadcaster who had his own show called Squirt TV on MTV in the 90s and has since worked on shows such as Comedy Central's Corporate, Marvel's Runaways, and Wet Hot American Summer. Jake's a huge Beatles fan and loves all kinds of music. That's why I'm really excited to have him on the podcast this week. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm good. Um, I was excited to do this. I You've had such a range of guests. Some are longtime friends of mine. Mark Frost, co-creator of Twin Peaks, and you asked, and I said, uh, sure, I'll talk about the Beatles with you. Why not? Awesome. So, Jake, what was the first time that you ever heard the music of the Beatles? See, this is, I, I, was, I was thinking about it, and I honestly cannot remember a time without the Beatles. I was born in March of 79. So the Beatles had been broken up, but they had their albums and their solo, their solo work. It was just, I, I, there was no life without the Beatles. Like my first sort of conscious memory of the Beatles and listening to them uh, that I can sort of piece together is I had the standard Fisher Price record player um, and a copy of the White Album, um, which was probably a really good pressing like uh from the uh, and i that should not have been on a fisher price record player and i remember listening to it and um i don't know how old i must have been but that's sort of the first conscious memory i have um of listening to the beatles just, just sort of by myself with obviously from my mother's record collection um getting into it maybe i think maybe i was trying to play it backwards to hear 
revolution number nine, although I don't know how I would have even known about that. It might have uh, been, I don't remember it. The Beatles music has always been with me. And what were your thoughts when you first heard them? As a very young person, you know, there was always music in my house, but something stood out to me that the, the Beatles were the best band. Um, I don't think it was anything that was told to me by uh, an adult or my parents or anything. I, uh, it's 1979 when I'm born. Um, the knack is out my Sharona. That's like a, a song that was popular uh, in the, in the year that I was born. The other stuff would be, I think I will survive by Gloria Gaynor. And then, as I start to like get into like conscious memories of, of, of being a child, I know like the first 45 I had was Casey and the sunshine bands, boogie shoes. And I remember buying like Hall and Oates's private eyes album at Sam Goody. But there was something about like, this was new music and it was good. And I liked it. But the Beatles was like, I just sort of like had this sort of spiritual knowing that the Beatles were the best band and that they were no longer together. I knew that they had broken up um, and I had known sadly that one of them had passed away. But I I think I just sort of knew um, the Beatles were the best band. So I think that it's almost like a spiritual consciousness thing of, as, as a little kid. Because when you see little kids, little kids love the Beatles. There are people who are, who are like, I don't like the Beatles. And I and I always, I'm like, really? You, you don't like the Beatles? Like, you think that they're the worst band? They suck? Like, I think that's a, a contrarian uh, attitude that is uh, people put on airs. And it's like, you can't find one. Be- I'm not saying every uh, Beatles song is uh, a, a classic. I, 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 I'm just saying... Their batting average is pretty good, you know. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> and, and they sort of, um, they sort of, even when they sort of borrowed from other artists or took influences from their other contemporary artists at the time, uh, they still took it to the next level, you know. Like, and but when you're a little little kid, you don't know about any of this stuff. You don't know, uh, you know, about. Brian Wilson and Pet Sounds and yeah. <laughs> and his, you know, battles with Phil Spector in his brain. You don't know about that as a little kid. But I, I, if you look at little kids, they like they love the they love the Beatles and not just Yellow Submarine, the songs that are more like kid friendly, like, you know, put on rain for a little little kid. And I think their ears just perk up. Um it's the harmonies. It's the melodies. It is just the, something in me, I guess, spiritually from God, from whatever was just like, no, the Beatles is for you. And I think that I'm not unique in having that experience. I think that that's a pretty common experience. Um, but I don't have this like, um, like early childhood memory of like, ooh, discovering like the monkeys, a hundred percent. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, I remember I could tell you it was like, oh, I saw 
the monkeys on MTV and fell in love with the monkeys. And it was right as they were um, having their 1987 reunion, you know, it was monkey mania sort of hit again, 1986, 1987. Um, But the, but before that, the Beatles, it's just sort of like, no, always there, always in the ether. You know, I think that's a great point you bring up because I agree, like little kids are drawn to the Beatles. I know I certainly was. And it makes me wonder like, what's different about them? But, and I think you're right. It has to be spiritual because there are a lot of groups that are influenced by the Beatles, but I don't think it's common for kids to want to listen to like Oasis, you know? Exactly. I, I, you know, it, it, it makes me, when you look at the footage of Beatlemania, uh, for me, I'm a big fan of the band Devo. And I, in the mid 2000s, Devo weren't touring that actively. And, and, uh, but then all of a sudden they were going to play Central Park and, uh, holy crap, I'm going to, I'm going to see Devo live. And the yeah, yeah, yeahs opened up and I saw Devo for the first time live. And I had the experience for myself of, oh, that footage that I've seen on Ed Sullivan of uh, girls screaming and guys screaming, I get it now. Cause I was like, you know, I, I've had that happen to me only a couple times. Like I saw Devo, which happens to be a, a favorite band of mine. And then I went to see Prince in Austin, Texas at like a, it was a very small venue. I was very lucky to get in uh, Ryan, the guy used to run pitchfork helped me get into this secret prince concert and it is like i knew i was going to see prince there was a sign outside that said prince and then somebody said ladies and gentlemen prince and then prince walked out on the stage and i went oh my god it's prince there he is like i would have been like more shocked if et had walked out on the stage it's like (laughs) it was like wow that's prince yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think that like nobody has come close to repeating the success of the Beatles. Um, we've seen, um, a lot of great bands that have been influenced by them, but like they were the first we're still to this day, um, endlessly interested about their music and re-examining it and you know when we got to finally see what peter jackson did with the get back it was sort of like oh finally you know like you know this footage that we've been waiting to see like for me i was like this is this is really i think the last of it this is the last of the sort of the beatles footage that um that i think we're gonna get to see and and it, and it isn't the maudlin, you know, sort of tale, the narrative that had been pushed for all of these years. And I was like, no, that stuff happened like a year or two later in like Alan Klein's office, you know, right. where the camera's not rolling. It was really incredible. It was incredible to, to see all that stuff. But um, yeah, there is no other Beatles. I don't, you know, I always like to keep an open mind, like, but like something must have happened. I don't know what it, what it was. The the combination of these four souls 
sonically and and with their harmonies and their songwriting that just clicked in people's brains as like we love this we we absolutely love this and and we're going to follow you throughout everything that you do you know it, i don't know any other band that that has happened with on such a global scale obviously there's the rolling stones and everything but like I don't know if people are pulling out steel wheels or bridges to Babylon the way that they're still pulling out Let It Be or uh, Revolver. You know, I, you know. Yeah. How many years were the Beatles a band? It was seven years. Seven years. And then in that seven years, they did really, really great work and they stopped and then they did subsequent solo work, which is all amazing and valid in, in its own right. But in that seven year, and what a phenomenon. It's sort of impossible to put into words. I don't know what hit the universe like that. Or what could, you know, could it ever happen again? I have no idea. I doubt it. I hope. That'd be cool. I'd like yeah. to see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder what the next like Beatles phenomenon would even look like. Like, would they have the mop tops? Would they look different? I think it would, I don't know. I think it would have to be completely different because it's like whenever it's sort of like Beatles derivative, it, it, it's too much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's very, yeah, it's very fascinating to me. Beatlemania is a, was a legit, it was like a, like a legitimate psychological condition. It should be it should be studied. I don't know. Like, have they done brain science around the Beatles? There, there, there should be. I should have a um. I should have a doctor on the podcast to describe that. Yeah, I, I would, I would be curious because it is like, what is the confluence of these you know four people together, um, and also George Martin and and all the just the just the right group of people you know, and, and the pace at which they did things. Um, I get why they stopped, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm sure they aged like twice as fast being in the Beatles. Well, I saw, you know, McCartney on the, on his last tour is the first time I'd seen Paul McCartney and, you know, he's 80 years old and he did a two and a half hour show at for 75,000 people. And it was, it was fantastic. It, it was unbelievable having a great time he's, he's got the best musicians in the world it was it was it was like being in a church service where did you see paul perform at sofi stadium um my wife had never been to a big rock concert and i've been to big rock concerts before like maybe a, a like giant stadium or something and um but this was something else this stadium is only um been a stadium for like two years they had the super bowl there so there's it's called sofi stadium here in los angeles you, paul mccartney walked out and he was like wow you know like whoa it wasn't part of the shtick that he does uh you know on his tour it was like i think he was taken in by just the sheer amount of people i think it was something like seventy-five thousand people wow. um and it being this absolutely state-of-the-art um, incredible venue. And I, I felt very, very privileged to, to be there. 
That's so awesome. Yeah, I just saw him perform in Newark, New Jersey, and he brought out Bruce Springsteen, and I was blown away by that. Yeah, so the, we saw the, probably the the same show. You had the extra benefit of uh, Bruce coming out. I think it, it did Glory Days, and that's great in in Jersey, you know, yeah. to have Bruce come out. But it's also just like all of the artists. There is no Springsteen without the Beatles. Like I have read or listened to every autobiography of every musician ever. It's what I fall asleep to uh, every night. Thank you, Audible. Um, but like, you know, there's just a certain, certain age of musician. It's just like, you know, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. It's like, that's what I'm going to do. And it ranges from like Ozzy Osbourne to, you know, Steve Lukather from Toto. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's, and that's what I'm talking about. This like connectivity, um, which I think that Yoko is is always sort of talking about it's just like there is some sort of like spiritual connectivity with the Beatles music and there were kids at the at the McCartney concert and they they knew the songs and I was just it it was it was really an unbelievable experience yeah we were really lucky to get a tour this year especially because of the tribute to John made possible by Peter Jackson it was unbelievable from the minute that um the I think his DJ's name is Chris Holmes. It was unbelievable. That guy comes out and he starts doing like a 15 minute DJ set and a, a Beatles sort of song. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, start to finish. It was just an incredible experience. So Jake, how did you first become interested in writing and broadcasting? Yeah, I was a weird kid. Um, a weird kid in the sense that I, from a very early age, always knew what I wanted to do um, when I would watch something like Saturday Night Live. Um, I didn't want to be on Saturday Night Live. Um, I had an understanding from a very young age that there was a a person named Lauren Michaels and it was his job to pick who's on Saturday Night Live and what sketches get in and he and he was kind of funny i wanted to to be a producer i was also very inspired um by john waters's early films um and so much so that i i wrote him a letter when i was seven years old um and it was a very specific letter i was asking him um i would like to there was a couple of his early first endeavor films um that have never been released except in a museum setting um <laughs> i was sitting up in his attic and I, I i wanted to see those movies so i wrote him a letter saying i'd like to see those movies and he called me wow and um and i had a phone conversation with john waters and he wanted to know did my parents know if i was watching his films and i said yes they did and once he knew that he was just like well you know, these, these films are sitting in my attic and they're not very good, but it's really nice to meet you. And whenever I've run into him, um, as an adult, he always remembers this kid, um, who, you know, called him, that he wrote him a letter about, you know, hagging a black leather jacket, Roman candles and eat your makeup. Something about seeing John Waters films. I was just like, well, this is a movie. This is a, just a guy who's making a movie on a very low budget with his friends and I, and they're, and it's hilarious and it's out there. And if this counts as a movie, that means I could do that too. Like I could get my friends together. 
and we could make something. And um, that really um, hit my brain from a very early age. And, and then I was just sort of on a pursuit to do that since I was a very small child. So how have the Beatles influenced your life? I think the Beatles are a constant soundtrack in, in my life. I think what happens to me is, you know, the Beatles are always there. And then I don't know if it is once every year or once every 18 months, but I'll start, I'll, I'll, I'll get Beatles obsessed and it could be, um, about a specific area of their career, or it could be uh, about a specific album, or it could be about a Beatles associate like Magic Alex. And I start to go down the rabbit hole. And um, so I think that they have absolutely been an influence. Um, music is such a, a, a huge influence in everything that I do. Like um, whenever I write a script or uh, like I am the person who writes the song into the script and will fight with the network and the, and hire the right music supervisor to make sure, no, no, no. if it's in the script, we're going to get the song and I will get on the phone and I will negotiate to, you know, get it at a lower rate. Um, or I'll budget accordingly. I'll be like, we're going to pay the $50,000 for this song, whatever it is. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm that person. Um, the needle drops and television that I've done or, um, the things that I've made are, are, are really, really important to me, um, um, in an, in an obsessive way. And then comedically, because of my age, I do distinctly remember as a child, you know, telling my mom how much I love the Beatles. And she said, you know, they made movies too. And I said, what? This blew my mind as a kid. Because at that time, uh, the Beatles movies had not come out on home video yet. And I remember that... Um, we were living in Philadelphia at the time that the, the first Beatles movie that I saw was they were aired yellow submarine on television. And so I saw yellow submarine and it was obviously great, but I also knew that it wasn't the Beatles doing the, their voices and they pop up at the end and everything, but then they came out on video. And I think I, I, uh, the first one to come out was magical mystery tour, uh, MPI home video, put them all out. So Magical Mystery Tour came out and I watched that and I was just like, this is weird and great. And But then I saw Help and A Hard Day's Night. I think they came out very close within each other. Seeing A Hard Day's Night for the, for the first time, first of all, it's my favorite movie ever made about a sound check. Um, it's the <laughs> best movie about a band doing a sound check, I think, <laughs> out there today. You, you can't find a better sound check movie. Um, that uh, that was just mind blowing to me. And then help. Uh, I, I really appreciated the humor and help. And then that led me down a path of discovering Richard Lester 
and the goons and then the knack and how to get it. Another thing that might be very controversial, but I am a big fan of was I loved the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees um, that was made. uh, Have you seen that? Have you seen the movie where Aerosmith and Peter Frampton uh, get into a fight and Peter Frampton wins while singing (laughs) Come Together? Have you seen the movie where a couple of robots sing She's Leaving Home? (laughs) It's basically... um, Cocaine, the motion picture. <laughs> it, it is absolutely, it was produced by Robert Stigwood. It's got all of, it's, it's, it's like, I guess its origins are in this great Broadway production they did of Sgt. Pepper. Like that was like basically like a proto Cirque du Soleil. It wasn't like a circus, but it was a big Broadway thing. They're going to do that at a movie. It's insane. At the end of it, everybody is singing the Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band reprise. And I'm talking everybody from Bowser, from Shauna Na to Phyllis Diller. This movie is absolutely insane. But again, I loved the Beatles when I was a little kid. And when I was a little kid, this movie was just like, you know, I loved Saturday Night Fever. I loved Grease. I loved Xanadu. Um, And it came out at that, you know, it came out in 1978. The thing was, absolutely not successful it was a critical and commercial flop but there are people who who hold a special place in their heart for it because it's just so insane you know there's there's moments of it where you watch it and you're like who asked for this and then you see robin gibb do a pretty good cover of oh darling and it's sort of like hold on, this isn't funny. This is legitimately good, you know, but, and, but, you know, Alice Cooper doing because I loved it when I was a kid, that was a huge influence to me. Um, if, if John Waters is a bunch of um, people with no money getting together and making a film and, 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 and committing to their art and their voice, Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, the movie from 1978 is people with way too much money. It's the, the tagline for the film is a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Um, Billy Preston is in the movie. It's, it's like, like um, he brings everybody back to life at the end with a, you know, George Burns sings fixing a hole. It's really weird. Uh, It made a big impression on me, but I had already heard um, the Beatles music. Like I knew that I was getting sort of these cover versions that were, you know, and I was a big Bee Gees fan. I love Saturday Night Fever. Like, well, it's the Bee Gees singing the Beatles. This is, I like this. You, you do get like, if you've ever heard earth, wind and fire's amazing cover of got to get you into my life. Um, that comes from the Sgt. Pepper movie. Yeah. It's, it's an endlessly fascinating film to me. Um, so is that, do you think watching that movie is your favorite memory associated with the Beatles? No. So I I have so so many memories associated with the Beatles. I remember being older and when the Beatles anthology happened and that being such a huge deal, getting those Beatles anthology, um, albums, and hearing like the 
early mixes of or different alternative mixes of strawberries. That was like the first time we were getting anything like that. And then watching it as it aired on ABC uh, for three consecutive nights. Uh, it was because there was also a, a documentary that I watched uh, over and over again when I was a kid called The Complete Beatles, which is a good sort of maybe an hour and 45 minute documentary on the Beatles. Um, but it's a it's essentially a truncated Beatles anthology that was made by somebody else. I also, as a kid, had a art book um, and it was just like artwork of the Beatles. And I think I still have it. It's probably worth something. And I would look at that over and over again. The album covers themselves. In the 90s, so I'm a teenager when the Beatles anthology aired. Then they put all those albums out. They did this weird 90s run of vinyl, mono, Beatles vinyl remasters. I don't know if they're particularly good, but that was where I was like, I'm going to get these mono mixes and listen to them for the first time because this is how they were. And I remember also getting Abbey Road. It was like the probably the one of the first CDs when we got a CD player. Abbey Road was one of the first CDs we had. And then when I was uh, probably about 17 or 18 years old, I uh, became friendly with Sean Lennon. We're still friendly to this day. And um, Sean is my friend. We have not talked very much about the Beatles um, because our friendship is not based on who his dad was. It's based on the kind of scene that we were all hanging out in in New York City in the 90s, which was sort of the Beastie Boys grand royal scene. And Adam Yauch, um, rest in peace, you know, like Sean felt comfortable enough to give Adam Yalk like demos. Um, and, and Yalk was like, Hey, this is good. Let's put it out on, on grand Royal and stuff. And, and I think that was a very vulnerable thing for Sean to do. Um, cause Sean's just a couple of years older than me. Like you're John Lennon's son. Um, it's interesting. I lost my father this year, so I, I can relate my father lived into old age and was not assassinated, but um, I, I know what it's like to lose a parent now. Um, I don't know what it's like to lose a parent at a very young age, the, the way that Sean does. But our, our friendship was never based on um, who his dad was. It was, it was based on just like uh, the current music scene that was going on in New York City at the time, um, which was Chivo Mato, the Beastie Boys um, uh, and Grand Royal Records, which was the Beastie Boys label. And um, yeah, you know, when I was a, a teenager, a lot of people know this, some people don't. I had a public access show that became an MTV show. And uh, it was called Square TV. And we actually did shoot it out of my bedroom. And um, I booked Chibo Mato to be a uh, guest. And Sean played bass in that band. So uh, there's great footage on the internet of uh, me as a teenager and Chibo Mato playing in my bedroom. And that, that we were just friends, you know what I mean? And there's some personal stuff that I would never talk about on a podcast where Sean, and he knows it, I was young um, and I was hanging out with a lot of adults. When I say adults, maybe people that are 10 years older than me. And Sean 
pulled me aside and he's just like, you're a kid. I'm a little bit older than you. And I know some stuff that's going on with you. That's maybe not so good. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about it. And I always remember that. And I, I love Sean for that on a very personal level. But yeah, never really talked to him about like, um, hey, what was it like for your dad to be a Beatle or, or anything like that? It, it, it's um, we had so much other stuff to talk about than, you know, that, you know, occasionally maybe he would say something. But like, I don't I don't want to say uh, cautious because there's, there's nothing to hide, um, but I'm very uh, protective because I um, because Sean is my friend um, and we're not nearly as close as we were back in, in the nineties, but we are, you know, are still in touch and text back and forth occasionally. Um, I was around for when he put out his first record and, um, and I was on the radio at the time on K rock and he came up to do an interview. And I remember being very protective then, uh, cause the engineer is a big Beatles fan. In fact, this engineer was really cool. He remember him getting a CD of the great uh, bootleg of Toot and a Snore in 74 and him playing that for me and be like, this is, you know, this is John and Paul and Stevie Wonder and Harry Nelson and there's Coke being passed around and stuff like, uh, and I just remember him just kind of watching the engineer and being like, hey man, like, I know this is the son of a beetle, but like, he's like my friend and we're going to talk about his music and like, let's not get weird. And he was great. I get, I get, I guess I, I, um, am, am protective of, uh, of a friendship. I don't, you know what I mean? But at the same time I recognize, yeah, your dad was in the Beatles. And, um, I, I think when I look at like, I've never, I've never met, uh, a, a beetle. Um, but I, I see Paul McCartney whenever I, I uh, see Paul McCartney, like interact with fans or something. I like, he's really good at being a Beatle. Um, yes. He's really good. Like, just like he knows it's a big deal. Definitely. Um, he's going to give you your moment and then he's going to go about his, like, he seems really good at it. You know, I don't even know what I would say to Paul McCartney. If I was to, you know, <laughs> meet Paul, I like, I'd probably just want to talk about his day, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it gets, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure it got really old fast for Sean, but he's such a nice guy. I'm sure he'll entertain it anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, there's so many other things to talk about with Sean. Like, why why make it about the Beatles? I just remember Sean. Like, just, I'm thinking about the stuff that we were listening to at the time, and it was just like the first time I heard Can, and um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh God, it's just a super cool Brazilian group from the '70s and stuff. It was just like we were just all listening to all this like really cool music. Um, I certainly remember can, I remember us like Sean being like, you've never seen danger diabolique the movie. And like, like, you know, just the stuff we were in our early twenties and, and stuff. And, and it's just the kind of stuff that you're, that whatever it was in the nineties that we were interested in. Um, and yeah, his dad would come up and, I, I think one funny thing, I think I did tell Sean this one time because it was funny. Like one time he called and this was back in the days of caller ID and the, and the caller ID showed up. Ono Yoko, um, Ono comma Yoko. And I was just like, that's funny, you know? And, right. um, but Yoko was just like, like, yeah, it's Sean's mom. 
she's Yoko Ono. She's super cool. Occasionally, like, a story would come up, but, like, nothing that's, like, popping into mind. There was no, like, you know, oh, yes, well, when my uh, dad was in the Lost Weekend period, like, you know, it was not, nothing that deep, like, just, like, the way anybody would talk about their dad. That was such a, such a interesting time in New York City and stuff. But then, um, yes, Beatles anthology stuff, that happened earlier. That, that was 1990. Five nineteen ninety six, the those records came out and the mm-hmm. TV specials and stuff, and then, yeah, show, meeting the Beastie Boys and stuff happened in in nineteen, I guess later in nineteen ninety five, December of nineteen ninety five, and there was just one Alec Baldwin, whatever the whatever date Alec Baldwin and SNL, uh, the Beastie Boys were on SNL, whatever date that is, there was a that's where my life got different that night. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, inspirationally though, they, you know, the, the humor of the Beatles, particularly in a hard day's night, very dry wit, like each Beatle has, has their own sort of sense of humor. Um, and then their shared collective sense of humor. It definitely influenced all the weird dumb sketch comedy that we were doing at the upright citizens brigade in the late nineties, early two thousands. But then so did the Ramones, if Mm. that makes sense, you know? Yeah. But you wouldn't have literally the Ramones take their band name from Paul McCartney's alias that he used to use checking into hotels uh, he would check in as Paul Ramon. So there's no, you know, Ramones without Beatles. So, so it's all, I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I like a, a good pop song is a good pop song is a good pop song, whether it's the Beatles or the Ramones. Um, and I feel the same way about uh, comedy, like uh, particularly sketch comedy, like a good sketch is a good sketch is a good sketch. I don't care if it comes from the kids in the hall or the state or Mr. Show or later uh, Tim and Eric, or of course, Upright Citizens Brigade or Lonely Island. A good sketch is a good sketch is a good sketch. It either works or it doesn't, you know? Yeah. And the Beatles just had the um, massive hit ratio of like, yeah, most of their stuff worked. Like how many Beatles songs are there? There's like 236 or something like that. Yeah. And like, I would say probably like, 200 of them are great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a couple of clunkers. And even the clunkers, you go back and you go, ah, it's that, it, it belongs there. You know? Yeah, 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 totally. And even the Beastie Boys loved sampling the Beatles, too. Oh, my God. Paul's Boutique, like, you know, the sampling laws uh, changed. But to to make Paul's Boutique today would be be a uh, impossible like it's grandfathered in uh and i think there's a relationship with uh capital but like th- that album is made up entirely of samples um, 
And another movie that I loved when I was young was Car Wash, which was also directed by uh, the same director as the Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band movie. And Paul's Boutique is littered with samples from the Car Wash soundtrack and the Beatles and a million other things, you know. Yeah. Uh, but particularly the way they sample the end is um, it's it's unbelievable. It's, you know, you can go down the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique rabbit hole uh, as well. Like, I remember when Spotify was first at things, you know, somebody made like, here is a playlist of all of the samples of that are on Spotify of songs from Paul's Boutique that are sample, you know. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And um, I remember feeling pretty cool like listening to Paul's Boutique and being like, I know where that sample's from, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, But, you know, you'd have to be a complete musicologist, um, which, you know, now I could probably tell you what most of the samples are of Paul's Boutique because of the, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm 43. I've had some time. But at the the time of its release, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) But um, the Beastie Boys also... Um, it got left off of, it's interesting because it got left off of license sale because it sampled uh, the Beatles. They did a song called I'm Down. They did a cover basically of the Beatles' I'm Down. My girl likes fracks, not fucking beans. I want to wax that girl right out there. Jeez. I'm down. But they had to leave that off of license sale, or maybe it was, I I think, I don't know if it was a creative decision or a business decision, but there was always a a, a sort of a a synergy between, even though the Beastie Boys are a totally different band influenced by so many different influences. Like um, for hip hop, I think that they uh, were maybe as close as close as you can get to, you know, there, there's other people who have done way innovative things in hip hop sense, but, and it might be just my personal bias, but like, and, and they would still be going, I think too. I think they would still be going had Yauk not passed. I don't know how you could continue the beasties without Adam Yauk. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, was definitely my teenage years. And then, and then, yeah, you know, these days I am a sucker for, um, I'm not a sucker for because they're great. What Giles Martin does, any reissue that comes out. Yeah, I want to hear Giles Martin's cool new mix of Sgt. Pepper, or the White Album or Abbey Road. I love these new mixes. Just the other day, um, I was checking out, they, they did McCartney 1, 2, 3 and Dolby Atmos. And I popped in my AirPods and I was just like, let me hear what temporary secretary sounds like in Dolby Atmos. Like it's fun, you know? Yeah. That sounds like a blast. And um, I love these. I love the new mixes. Like I love it. It, 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 It's, um, it's not like they don't feel like cash ins. I think the Beatles like, yes, of course you can buy like a lunchbox. It's a whole business. Beatles memorabilia. It's a, it's a whole business, but like um, the, the stuff that they've been doing, like, God, I wish I bought that mono box set, you know, like stupid. Why didn't I buy that? Right. They did a really great job. I'm glad I picked up the couple um, reissues that I have that I don't know why it, it shouldn't, 
it shouldn't be this way, but it costs like, you know, you want a mono revolver, nice pressing of a mono revolver, you know, from these remasters they are hundred bucks now. And I'm like, that's a little pricey. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It, I'm smart to, you know, like, and then, yeah, I don't know why, like my, my Beatles white album from uh, youth is a MoFi. I still have it. And you know, now I, that that's the current obsession. It's just like, should I invest some money in like buying like the best Beatles vinyl pressings that I yeah. have? They don't need to be first pressings, just like the best. Like yeah, I hear of course. Dutch pressing of this is, you know, like, but you know, I don't have a stereo uh, system that costs like a car. So it, it's sort of like, I don't know if I need to do that. <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder, do you think that the Beatles mono recordings will ever become available on streaming? I wonder, I don't know why they don't, you know, it's interesting. I'm of a certain age where the Beatles catalog, I didn't get the U S albums. I'm, I'm, you know, born in 79, the Beatles albums that I heard growing up are the uniformed UK, um, what we now consider to be the official Beatles catalog. Yes. So I do have a copy of yesterday and today but i bought it was it was cheap it was like 15 bucks i bought it uh to uh do a bit on instagram i wrote my name on it and i was like this is a uh, uh beatles butcher cover and i wanted to make sure that it uh it, it was safe and didn't get lost so i wrote my name <laughs> on it make people crazy uh, it's like the most uh, expensive record in the world you know um uh, but um uh, yeah, no, I I don't know why the mono stuff is um, not on streaming. You know, there you know, audio files are crazy. Um, like, there are everybody's got their their own opinion on stuff. Like, like Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs just got in trouble because, uh, like, like you're never going to believe this, but we used modern technology to um, uh, make these records sound better. It's not a, like, yes, it's analog, but we put it into a computer, um, which by the way, the human ear can't hear, uh, you know, certain frequencies. We put it into a computer, then we put it back through an analog pass. Like, like, sorry, we, I guess it, it made these audiophiles insane. I'm a little bit of an audiophile. Like I like a clean sounding pressing of something, but like, you know, like I buy records to play them. I did buy the Abbey Road box set, like, cause I wanted to hear all the outtakes and, and, and mixes and stuff. And I was just like, that's the only Beatles stereo album. Yeah. You know, let me hear it. You know, obviously it's a subject. I, the Beatles is a subject. I feel like I'm talking all over the place. I am not eloquent um, in, in my discussion of this band right now. No, but these are all such important topics and you're, we're covering a lot of ground here. Um, here's a question. Which Beatles album are you looking forward to seeing uh, being remixed in the future? Revolver. I, I'd love to hear what Giles Martin would do with Revolver. Basically, the way I look at it is like the mono Beatles albums, which is most of the catalog, um, never really got proper stereo mixes the um stereo mixes were always sort of an afterthought um you know same is true for 
you know, Brian Wilson and, you know, that was Phil Spector back to mono and it was meant to come out of one speaker. They were being played for AM radio. So the ability, if they can, if the technology allows them to, to go in, take the original master tapes, do this. What Giles Martin does is so amazing because it is just so subtle. It's just so subtle. It's just like, let's just bring up Ringo's snare drum a little bit. Let's mm. push these vocals a little bit forward. You know, I'm talking about on the, on these new um, vinyl remasters and, and the same, uh, I think for streaming, it's just like, let's, let's use the tools that we have today. Let's not mess with the integrity of the record. Let's not change it. So it sounds totally different, but let's like push the boundaries of technology to just bring out bring out the sound of what's there a little bit more of like what's on the tape you know yeah. um and I, I i'm i'm i would love revolver I, I would love revolver uh because at that point that's when the beatles become the studio band you know the 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 the, the, the touring I, I also would love rubber soul um you know, please please me um, with the Beatles, those those sort of earlier albums, like there's only so much you can do. It's, you know, a couple, you know, it's, it's two track, you know, there's not even four track recording yet. But mm -hmm. as Beatles started getting into like using the studio, um, I I'm all for Giles Martin going in and um, using whatever magic he has because he has the ear for it he's only been listening to these records since he was born his dad only produced all of them um and then he has certainly proven his chops um you know there there's there's a golden ear there it's inherited you know and again spiritually connected you know um i was amazed also with what Peter Jackson did technologically, forget the visual restoration. Yes, he made um, the, the the get back footage uh, from Twickingham Studios. The colors really pop. But what he did with the audio, um, being able to isolate, the Beatles knew that they were being recorded. And he was able to, so they would be strumming, you know, and having a private conversation. Well, they didn't know that all these years later, Peter Jackson would be able to go and isolate that audio and like eavesdrop on these conversations that they were thought they were, you know, hiding from the Nagra recordings, you know, it's so cool. Um, it's so cool. I, you know, I've heard there's an eight hour uh, cut of uh, the Beatles get back. Yes. The, they, they put out a uh, Blu-ray and I bought it just in case. Um, no, it doesn't come with a re-edited, remastered Let It Be, the Michael Lindsay Hogg version. It's just what was on Disney+. Plus. And I bought it just because I believe in physical media and I just don't trust Disney+. Plus. I, it's just like, okay, yeah, you have the rights to get back for five years. And then we're going to take it back because we're the Beatles and we're going to put it somewhere else or we're going to take it away. So I want to be, I always want to be able to have access because I don't know what's going to happen in that 12 month, 18th month cycle in my brain where I'm going to, where the, where I'm going to have to go and do my Beatles obsessive thing 
Right. That is setting off something in me that gets me to my next creative work, you know? Yes. Uh, so I just, even though there's no extras, I bought it because if I, ha- if I own it, I have it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, the original Let It Be and Magical Mystery Tour disappeared. Yeah. Just forever. wiped off the face of I, the earth. Let It Be. I remember renting the terrible grainy it was a magnetic home video corporation put that out um you know and the beatles at chase stadium i remember renting those from kim's video um with my dad and you know they're very it's very grainy bad transfer but it was the only thing you could have for a long long time uh for let it be and then they did remaster it and then they were like oh there's we're not ready to put this out and i think a bootleg sort of circulated a better uh, version of let it be and i'm not above um uh buying a beatles bootleg uh <laughs> if the right one comes i have this boot i have a beatles bootleg album that i bought just for the cover and it's in a music video i directed for my friend john daly which is a shot for it's called cheer me up it's a shot for shot remake of the rolling stones music video for start me up only it's on John Daly's album, Ding Dong Delicious, Cheer Me Up. And if you watch that music video, you can see a very unique Beatles bootleg album um, in that video. I, so I, I, I'll tell people, go look up uh, John Daly, D-A-L-Y, Cheer Me Up. And you can ta- see the Beatles bootleg that I have that I bought just for the cover. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. the name of the bootleg by any chance? It's called Fuck. <laughs> it looks like the cover of help, but it just says the Beatles fuck. And it's really funny. And I was just like this, I don't even know what's on it. It's just a crappy album. Like, you know, but it's just the funniest cover. Um, awesome. Also a huge, huge influence to me comedically uh, is the Ruttles, Eric Idle, Neil Innes and everything they did. Rutland weekend television, like the Ruttles it is, pitch perfect parody you have the the funniest people in the world at, at that time people from monty python people from saturday night live doing a fake beat like the 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 ruddles album is hilarious just the musicality that they were able to parody is so spot on and it's just filled with jokes i love the ruddles you know when you can parody something in music and you can get it spot on that is something that particularly gets me. Um, and Ruddles is gold standard. And then also anything Tom Sharpling and John Worcester do. Gold standard. Jimmy Fallon does a lot of stuff too. You know, one of the early, early things he did on the late night show is just like the doors singing Reading Rainbow. But the attention to detail, yeah, the attention to detail on that, like we're going to get the right Vox Continental organ, you know, with the inverted black and white keys, like we're going to rent that or we can do this dumb bit. Like, Yeah. <laughs> and one thing about the Ruddles is like, that's like one of the only parodies that doesn't disparage the original band. Like you can oh, yeah. love the Ruddles and the Beatles at the same time. Oh, because it was done with love and, you know, and um, I I think that, first of all, you know, Eric Idle and George Harrison are good friends. George Harrison did one of the greatest things that a person can do with their money 
life of Brian would not exist if it wasn't for George Harrison who produced the movie because he wanted to see it, you know? Right. Yeah. A very expensive movie ticket, which then got, you know, George Harrison into, you know, film production. So that's all for part one of our conversation with Jake Fogelnest. Be sure to tune in next week for part two. I just wanted to say a big thank you to Jake for coming on and bringing a massive amount of energy and enthusiasm to our conversation. Go follow Jake on Twitter at Jake Fogelnest. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get a notification sent to your phone every time we release a new episode. Check out our social media at Beatles Earth. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, pretty much everything. And as always, I will see you next week.